Hey, you're listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. And here are some of the highlights from the show today. Got a pet? Ready to post a picture of it on Instagram? A news story about clicktivism, that's activism that people think they're doing when they're just feeding the social media machine with needless content. And I was joined by Vancouver doctor Eric Kadeski to talk about an article he wrote on the Aaron Rodgers COVID-19 vaccine saga and BC's paramedic shortage. What accounts for it being understaffed by up to 40%? Burnout, mental health, and poor pay. That's what Troy Clifford of the Ambulance Paramedics Union says. All that and more on the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Let's dive in. If you've got a pet, you'll want to hear this news. It involves a social media post that went more than viral. Joining me to talk about it is global news reporter Charmin Somani. Hi, Charmin. Hi, Raji. Thanks so much for having me. Good morning. Can you take me back to the beginning of this uh, pet and plant a tree story and tell me what exactly happened? Yes, it's just the story is just absolutely crazy. So an Instagram campaign went viral recently asking users to share pictures of pets uh, with the sticker will plant one tree for every pet picture. So the sticker is actually a new feature on Instagram, which allows users to contribute to a thread in their stories. So it rolled out on November 1st and then this campaign started the day after and the sticker was created by Plant a Tree Co, which according to their website claims to have planted more than 6,500 trees by selling necklaces and their goal is apparently to plant 1 million trees by the end of the year. So that may have had something to do with it. So the campaign quickly gained traction on Instagram with millions of shares and Plant a Tree Co. says they removed the sticker within 10 minutes after posting it because they realized they didn't have the resources to plant that many trees. But at that point, it was too late to stop the campaign from going viral, even though they had removed the sticker. And then the trend kept going for a week. And in some cases, in some parts of the world, we're, see- we're still seeing those posts. Yeah, I saw Plant a Tree say that they removed the post. They deleted the post after 10 minutes. I don't know if that was really the case, if it was only 10 minutes, but how many exactly posts were made after they told people they'd plant a tree for a pet pick in exchange? So it was about uh, more than 4 million times. That's what wow. uh, Instagram was able to track. I know it's absolutely crazy how it's like wildfire. And then once start a trend and if it's going viral, uh, even though they may have pulled it after 10 minutes, it's too late to stop it because there's so many people who were interested in posting a picture of their pet for a good cause. Um, and obviously climate change, uh, you know, being that top topic that we're talking about uh, nowadays. So it just caught a lot of interest and it was too late to reverse it like it is with any other viral campaigns. Charmaine, just this morning, I went online and checked Instagram to see if this uh, movement had totally fizzled out. And I still see people posting pet pics (laughs) hoping to get a tree planted. Right. And then even though the sticker is removed, people are posting it, they're tagging them. So, you know, some are calling it like a, a marketing gimmick. Obviously, we don't know what why they did it or if, you know, what truth there is to this. But uh, yeah, even though the stickers removed, people are actually still posting pictures and they're tagging Plant a Tree Co. So that's that's interesting. So Charmaine, what about the trees? Who's going to plant the trees? Are the trees going to get planted at all? 
So a week after uh, the campaign began, so it was on November 2nd, so on Tuesday this week, the group thanked all the users for their pet photos and they said even though we deleted it, the trend continues to spread out of control, reaching millions of reposts. So they obviously, they said they can't plant all those trees, but they now want to help uh, raise funds to help plant 4 million trees because that's approximately how many uh, shares they got. So. Um, they're going to try to do that, but we, we don't know if they will. <laughs> yeah, is there, do you have any idea uh, if people are angry about this or people who participated in it? How are they reacting online? Um, there's a lot of people that are upset because I think people really wanted to make a change, but at the same time, uh, you know, it seemed too good to be true, right? So uh, there's experts that I spoke to, and they said you have to do your, you have to check your facts before you sort of give in. So it's, it, you know, trends like this can start, and um, you know, on social media, anyone can start a sticker. So there's responsibility on uh, social media companies, but then as well as on us as users because it seemed too good to be true. Like when I saw this trend at first when it popped up a couple of weeks of, on November 2nd, it just, it didn't seem like, uh, you know, something that would manifest and it, it would get somewhere. So people also have to be mindful of that. Yeah, you mentioned people should be mindful, check their facts, but any idea on how to vet these kinds of campaigns for legitimacy in the first place? Yeah, for sure. So I uh, spoke with some social media and technology experts and they shared some tips just in general as well, not just for this trend. So they feel that social media companies, uh, you know, maybe they could have a verification process if they see a trend going uh, viral. Maybe at that point, instead of having an automated system, they should have a human moderator uh, checking to see uh, and verifying the trend that's gone that's gone this viral with almost four million uh, shares. And as users, we can also help and do our part because there's only so much that social media companies will be able to do. Um, so we can look into companies that are posting the campaign or trend or a fundraiser, which can actually you know get more serious. In this case, nobody lost their money, but if it was a fundraiser, it would be uh, it would it would hurt a lot more people, obviously. Um, don't just check their social media accounts, whoever's starting the trend, but also check multiple sources. So like additional websites, any credible sources um, that have also mentioned them, any news sites that have mentioned them or are associated with them. And then finally, the golden rule, the golden uh, key when it comes to the internet is if it seems too good to be true, it probably is like it was <laughs> in this case. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Charmin Somani. Thank you so much for having me. That was Charmin Somani, a Global News Weekend reporter, talking to us about this story in the last week that happened where people saw a post online on social media that said, hey, post a picture of your pet and we'll plant a tree on your behalf. And uh, it didn't really happen. Um, this uh, reminded me of this campaign that uh, people were taking part in just uh, about a year ago during the pandemic where they were asked to post a black and white photo uh, of themselves as, you know, celebrating empowerment for some reason. Well, it was just a celebration of vanity in the end because it turns out what had happened was this post was co-opting a movement that asked women to do the, the same, post black and white photos of themselves in defense of physical um uh, of women who are fighting physical abuse in relationships. Well, that movement showed women's scars, not, uh, you know, uh, 
these flattering black and white photos where everyone looks like a model. And it made me wonder, have people become such slaves to social media that they do whatever they're prompted to? You know, this age of the of clicktivism, where you feel like, oh, if I just quickly click something or quickly just post a pic, I'm changing the world somehow. You know, in this case, people did it with zero thought, no research. Plant a tree for a dog pic? Sure thing. Here you go. No questions asked. And, you know, don't blame young people over this either, because I see older people posting pics of themselves to apps that collect their data. Uh, Partly, people want something free, I think, you know, free mental health services for a month in exchange for all your data. I saw something like that uh, a a little while ago, or access to a website. But really, I, I think people are bored. And the slightest bit of entertainment, especially if it's you know based on their own vanity or their love of their pet, everybody loves their pet, and they're sold. Well, by now, you've probably heard about Aaron Rodgers. He's the Green Bay Packers quarterback who insinuated he was protected against COVID-19. It turns out that he never received the vaccine. And then he tested positive for COVID-19. And family doctor Eric Kadesky wrote an article about it. And he wrote about kind of how celebrities are using their platform during the pandemic. And he joins me on the line now. Dr. Kadesky, hello. Oh, good morning. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks so much for being on the show. So your article talks about the influence of celebrity credibility. What made you take aim at Aaron Rodgers specifically? Uh, I, I think for us as doctors, uh, at the best of times, it's difficult working with our healthcare system. The pandemic has increased that exponentially. And then when we have to combat harmful misinformation, it's just like a pylon. And so when people who have a platform, whether they're athletes like Aaron Rodgers or other people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Nicki Minaj, who spread misinformation, it makes our job that much more difficult in terms of caring for our patients and our communities. When Rogers fans see a healthy-looking athlete in his prime saying he wouldn't take the vaccine, how much of an impact do you think a celebrity can have on people's opinions on health issues? Well, it's everything, because we know that our brains are wired to understand stories. And so when we see someone who looks healthy, who says they've had COVID, who says that they're receiving homeopathic treatments and they've never felt better, that is more powerful than any statistics that we can give people on the safety and the effectiveness of vaccines. How much then do you think should health officials consider what celebrities say and and go to the extent of even addressing their statements when they talk to the public? Well, it's difficult. As they say, a a lie is halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on. And so once those (laughs) stories are out there, once they've been magnified, once they've been retweeted and liked, uh, it's very, very difficult to undo that. That's why even going back 60 years ago, to one of the last uh, big outbreaks when there was polio that caused fear and and tremendous disability for children. It wasn't until celebrities like Elvis, Ella Fitzgerald, Sammy Davis Jr. uh, got out and said to people, we've gotten the vaccine, and so that people understood that it it was safe, and they saw their heroes getting vaccinated, and especially people who come from communities that traditionally have been underserviced or traditionally have uh, not uh, been treated as well by the healthcare community. So 
really the only way to fight this is is to have those positive celebrities. And we do have some locally and people like Ryan Reynolds who have been very public in showing that they've received the vaccine and showing those those messages. And and we need we need more of that. How do you think health officials can work to combat that kind of misinformation when it comes from celebrities who have so much more influence than than the health officials themselves? It, it can be very difficult. I mean, for me as a family doctor, I have relationships with my patients that, that I can leverage and hopefully the trust that, that they have in me. And so we can sit down and have a conversation that, that starts with, what have you heard? What do you understand? And then try to present them with the information. But it has to be couched in that trust and we have to reach people on an emotional level because these decisions, uh, like vaccination, have become very politicized. Uh, they become very emotional, uh, and so we can't reach that on a rational level. We have to approach it in the context of these very important relationships that people have with their doctors and also with, with the stars that they look up to. You mentioned that you try to leverage your trust, your relationship with patients. Do we know anything about the the reasons why people will believe celebrities so much sooner than they will uh, a doctor whom they have a relationship with? Well, they're accessible. I mean, my, my patients can't access me 24-7, but the celebrities are tweeting 24-7, or at least people who are managing their accounts are. Um, the amount of information that's being created on social media platforms uh, is, is a tremendous water hose that we just, we just can't keep up with on top of treating our patients, on top of of taking care of all the things that we would normally do before the pandemic and the things that we have to take on extra because of the pandemic. So for us, this is just extra on our shoulders. It's an extra burden. We know that burnout is is very, very high right now in the healthcare professions. Uh, We know that there's a lot of moral injury in caring for people who have chosen not to be vaccinated and then, then get sick. And so for us, there's just so much that we can we can take on uh, without burning out, and there's only so much capacity that we have dealing with what is already a fairly broken healthcare system. You uh, mentioned Aaron Rodgers in your article and how he's fined by the NFL um, only about 15,000 USD for uh, what they said was endangering others. What message do you think the NFL sent by giving such a small fine to a millionaire player? Well, I, I certainly can't speak for what their intention was. But when you, you find Aaron Rodgers makes the amount of his fine in about half a second of playing football. So by doing that, the NFL either showed uh, indifference uh, or, or impotence. And so I think what we have to do is, is to be strong. I know in, in Ontario and Quebec that they took a, a hard line against healthcare professionals saying, if you want to be caring for the most vulnerable people in our community, you have to be vaccinated. And then they walked it back. Whereas in British Columbia, you know, kudos to the government for taking a hard line and, and sticking with it and saying, we will, we will overcome. If we lose 1% or 2% of our healthcare force, we can work together to overcome that, knowing that when people seek care, the people that they're going to get care from are protected and are doing everything that they can to make sure that people get the safest care possible. 
In your article on why celebrities shouldn't trump science, um, you talk about how uh, Aaron Rodgers mentioned he he believes in homeopathy and he believes in uh, that the ivermectin drug is useful. Um, that stuff took on like wildfire, caught on like wildfire online um, before anyone could stop it. Um, do you see that when Bonnie Henry, Dr. Bonnie Henry is making these uh, public addresses on a regular basis, do you think that they could, they could or should be really specific and address different things that particular celebrities have said? It, it can be difficult because public health officials like Dr. Henry, doctors like myself, uh, government officials like... Uh, Mr. Dix and uh, Premier Horgan, we are we are seen as the establishment. And for a lot of people who have these anti-vaccine, anti-mask, and anti-science views, they're also very anti-government. They're anti-rule, and they do believe in a lot of these conspiracy theories that touch on these worldviews. And when they're exposed to misinformation, because it fortifies their worldviews and says to them, "Hey, you're right that there's a government." to cover up ivermectin. You're right that there is no such thing as the pandemic. They're much more likely to believe that than something that might challenge their worldview. And so there's only so much that doctors and health officials and politicians can do uh, in the face of people's willingness to believe information that confirms the worldview, no matter how false that is. It's very interesting. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Kadeski. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. That was family doctor Eric Kadeski reaching us uh, from Vancouver. I feel like during the pandemic, we have become acutely aware of how much we rely on our healthcare system to work. You call 911, you expect services right away that they will come and help you no matter what the reason is. And well, that hasn't been the case lately. Increasing wait times have led to a whopping 40% wait time for an ambulance. And it's not the fault of the paramedics themselves who are working as hard as they can to meet the demand. It's because paramedics are leaving the field and there aren't enough workers. Joining me to talk about this is Troy Clifford. He's the Ambulance Paramedics Union president. He's also an active paramedic himself. Welcome to the show, Troy. Thank you for having me on this morning. Good morning. Let's start out by getting a picture from you of what's going on out there. What have you seen overall during the pandemic in calls for help? Well, obviously, you know, we've talked about this a number of times, but really it's the increased call volume and the, the continual um, not meeting the demands of uh, the public and our, our patients by not enough ambulances, not enough paramedics to fill those seats and, and meet the demands, um, and not enough dispatchers and call takers, emergency call takers in our, in our centre to meet the the needs coming in and that was exposed uh, multiple times and through progressively through uh, the pandemic but leading up to this summer when we saw uh, where it came to head really after the uh, during the heat dome and and since then we've continued to see those same challenges and delays and, and that's really frustrating for the paramedics and, and it's it's causing injuries to them quite frankly psychological injuries and our dispatchers and it's 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 been a hard couple of years I'm not going to I'm not going to lie. I appreciate you being really frank about it, actually. So you mentioned that people are leaving the field. Can you get specific about why they're leaving? 
Well, I think uh, it's it's our, our it's two parts. Uh, people are are choosing to look at alternate careers because of uh, particularly in our in our on call part time uh, more rural and remote communities because of uh, the precarious work that two dollar an hour and compensation model that's been in place for a long time and. Uh, we haven't been able to successfully bargain it out, uh, and you know it's really caused uh, people aren't getting getting paid meaningfully, and and with the pressures that they put on them from a psychological and a and a work perspective, they're just choosing to go to other careers or going into private industry uh, where they can make considerably more money as a medic, or they're choosing other disciplines in healthcare or public safety, police, fire, because um, uh, they can get uh, more steady work and more uh, meaningful wages and benefits uh, in that. So that's one reason, and, and that's they're leaving, but they're also we're not able to recruit in the same sense that. And people just can't sustain the workloads. It's a, it's a long career if you choose it, and it's more than a career for a lot of people historically. It's a profession. It's a life. Um, it's only certain people are drawn to this kind of work and, and can can really handle it. And I think all those sort of factors have come to a head the last few years. The people just can't sustain the workloads. Um, it's affecting them. And, and so they're choosing to maybe the education we have around psychological injuries and wellness is, is really affecting them. And I think maybe the, co- the experience through COVID, people will put priorities together. So uh, it, it's a complicated factor, but it gives you a sense of some of the reasons for sure. You said that uh, it's a kind of calling that it's that not everybody is cut out for this kind of work. But Troy, who is cut out for this kind of work? What kind of worker would it take to be able to dip into people's lives for emergency care one after the other, seeing uh, traumatic injuries one after the other, and then uh, going home for only a short while to go back out there and do it all again? And as you say, uh, not being paid meaningfully all the while. Yeah, so I mean, well, I can speak for myself, and I, I think I speak for most paramedics and dispatchers. The reason we do it is, you know, I think that 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 willingness and and wish to serve or help people. I mean, that's that's what sustains you, and and that it really is a rewarding career in that. I mean, we're going through some really tough times. Morale is really bad. We're seeing other things in the media and, and the public that really aren't acknowledging the value of them. And you you guys have been really good, but, uh, you know, we've challenged with our leadership uh, previously, and that's what some of the changes were put in place. So um, the kind of people are people that want to care and serve. Um, but they also are humble people that want to be recognized and, and you know, and really not not uh they don't ask for much and and i think that's part of what's got us into this situation is we've just accepted things because of our nature and uh now we're in a situation where it's really come to head and it's affecting people more and more and people are better educated so i think those are the kind of people really the people that are caring and serving and want to help people and that's what drives me and that's why i'm in this role i am and it's really tough to see what's happening to our Members. And, you know, most recently, you know, there's a lot of changes came out of the heat dome that the government announced, but we're still not seeing the fruition of them the way they should have been. Um, and it's not really translating so far into the uh, to affecting the, the work and the lives of the paramedics and dispatchers. Uh, and that's where I'm, you know, ramping up the pressure that I'm trying to hold them accountable for the commitments of both BCHF, the new board and the government for 
the commitment they made in the summer to fix the ambulance service, we need to see see them come to fruition sooner rather than later. You mentioned you'd like to see meaningful pay. What else needs to change? I think the uh, structure of the organization, they need a governance review, uh, you know, and I think that's the mandate of the new board. But uh, clearly, uh, we need to review the management structure within BCEHS, the leadership, if you wish, um, to address how we got here and what we need in place for the expertise and the leadership to lead us out of this uh, scenario that we're in that uh, progressed over a number of years. But um, I, and I've been saying that for a while. We need to we need to understand if we don't have the right people in the right places that are prepared to lead this. It shouldn't be the union leading this. It shouldn't be me standing up and questioning all this. It, it needs to be done internally, and we can support and collaborate. But um, paramedics need the the people responsible for the ambulance service, and dispatchers need the people responsible for the ambulance service to step up and and lead us out of this uh, crisis that we've got ourselves into. You mentioned trauma earlier in our conversation. Um, how can mental health services better pr- be provided for um, dispatchers and for paramedics? Well, I think both areas. Are, and that's one area we've been, been successful in, in making a lot of changes. We have a, a robust critical incident stress program. And if you remember in July, uh, the minister announced that we need to better psychologically support our workers. And uh, we work uh, closely with the with the uh, BCS leadership and uh, our our health and welfare and mental health team, and we've submitted a joint briefing paper that uh, addresses every possible issue, and that's before the ministry now. So we're hoping that that'll be a uh, a way to do it. And including in that is uh, so we we know that we do a pretty good job of supporting people after they're injured. And what I mean by injured is psychological injuries, not necessarily uh, physical injuries. Um, and that's PTSD, all the workplace injuries that come as a result of this type of work or traumatic injuries. And so we're doing a great job of supporting, or not a great job, we're doing a, a pretty good job of supporting people after they've been injured. But the goal, we need to change that focus. is to providing those supports before they're injured and changing the culture and these, uh, the morale in the organization. Because a lot of our injuries are related to system problems, the lack of resources, the frustration that dispatchers see when they can't answer a 911 call in a timely fashion or they can't dispatch an ambulance because they don't have enough ambulances to send. Or, um, and same with crews. When they're going call to call to call, and when I say crews, paramedics on the streets, that's just a term we use. Um, when they're going to call to call to call and can't have a moment to even uh, have a coffee or uh, a bumper talk with their partner after a call because there's another one waiting. Um, and they're going home either late because they get a late call every day. That fatigue is wearing on them. And so what that, so until we can change that and get the realistic uh, number of calls that they're either answering or doing in a shift down to a more manageable amount, we're, we need, we, we're not going to change that impacts on their injuries. Um, and then providing the support to pre-injury. Troy Clifford, um, we're going to leave it there, but I wanted to thank you so much for your time this morning and sharing a picture of what you're seeing. Thank you. Yeah, no, obviously I can talk a lot about this because there's a lot to do, but I really appreciate you taking the time to have me on. Thanks again, Troy. That was Troy Thanks. Clifford with the Ambulance Paramedics Union. He is the president there. He's also an active paramedic. 
Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.